On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to this episode of the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. In today's episode, Trent Cockrum, CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, is joined by one of Hospice of the Piedmont's bereavement counselors, Marsha Bernard. You can read more about Marsha in the show's notes for today's episode. Together, Trent and Marsha will discuss the emotions and adjustments that surround caring for a loved one as their disease progresses and care needs increase. In addition, they will explore the benefits of being in tune with one's grief, both before and after the loss, and the importance of incorporating self-care and self-compassion as coping strategies. Let's listen in. Marsha, it's so great for you to be here today and be my guest on this newest installment of the E-Series podcast. Um, So I appreciate your being with me and sharing your insights with our listeners. Glad to be here. Yeah. So um, as we sort of jump right in, you know, today we're talking about anticipatory grief. And, you know, I think we can, I think most everybody who's listening has a good understanding of what their definition of grief might be. You know, we think about it in terms of we lose someone, someone dies that we care deeply about. Or something tragic happens, you know, grief needn't necessarily be related to death. Um, It's related to a whole bunch of things. But today we're talking about anticipatory grief. And can you just sort of start us off by helping us understand, helping me understand what anticipatory grief is? Sure. Well, anticipatory grief is the grief you feel before your loved one dies. And um, you ask somebody, when did you feel your first um, sense of grief? when you're with your loved one, they will say it was ages ago, maybe when I first saw big changes or it Mm -hmm. was when the doctor gave us the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So it's that period when you recognize life is changing. It can be a week or it can be 10 years. Um, And that's part of the challenge of anticipatory grief is that that whole period of the changes that unfold as a person becomes more ill and moves towards death. And it's what is being asked of us emotionally and what changes we have to make in our days and our family lives. Um, That is what anticipatory grief is, that whole collection of emotions and adjustments. Yeah, sort of like the series of emotions that we feel when we're waiting for the next series of things or next big thing to happen. Uh when, When uncertainty is the only thing that we have any certainty about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so does everybody experience, you know, we know, I think most everybody um, as a broad generalization experiences the, the, the sort of normal types of grief that we would see, you know, people who experience sadness and sorrow after someone um, has died, but does everybody experience anticipatory grief? Yeah, I think, again, let's talk about caregivers and let's talk about people for whom there are there is a predictable end at some level, this illness would take them. Sure. When you put those two um, factors together, almost everybody feels anticipatory grief. Some people have a remarkable sense that if they do enough, 
then they don't have to feel the pain or they're ready for their loved one to go. But most of us definitely have anticipatory grief. Now, what it looks like is all depends on your situation and your loved one and what their illness is and a hundred other factors. But almost all of us, we can't go from loving somebody and then saying goodbye to them without having feelings and a lot of change in our emotional and uh, in our emotional life. Yeah. So realizing though, that it doesn't, uh, that it affects everybody differently. Are there some sort of universal, you know, sort of signs that people who may be listening to this, um, who are thinking about either themselves or someone they know, um, to say, you know, this, this may be a form of grief that I'm actually experiencing. Are, are, are there some sort of universal things that people can begin thinking about or looking for for themselves or for others? Yeah, I think a lot of people don't see it as grief. They see it as just caregiving. Uh-huh. But, um, but then you start to say, well, what is that like for you? So anticipatory grief can be different. But as that person, from the minute you see that something's changed, you're going to start having changes in your life and you react to them how you do. So you're going to wake up in the morning. In the beginning, it's thinking, okay, we've got to get them to the doctor and we've got to pick up some prescriptions. So there's changes and new things being asked of you. And you're looking at your loved one and saying, they're changing. I, I got to do that for them now. And, ooh, you know, they look unsteady on their feet. So you're starting to just recognize that your role with your loved one is shifting. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be asked to do something different and they are going to have to grieve their losses as they're not able to do those things. And you're going to grieve your losses as you watch them change before your eyes. Um, how you react to that is, is unique. Over time, you'll realize your social life is changing. You don't have time to see people you used to, or you don't have the emotional energy. They can't go with you if they're your partner. So your social life starts to shift. You will see friends step up and be supportive. And you may well see friends step away because they don't know what to do with you. You will see family members step up and be supportive, or they will very much disappoint you by not being there for your loved one or for you. So either whether it's good news or bad news, there's change. The situation is asking for change. Financially, things change. How you go to worship services, if you're able to, do you go with your loved one anymore? Can you even go yourself? So little by little, you see all of the, um, the the parts of your day in life be different. If you're working, do you have to rush home at lunch hour? Do you have to take more time off? Do you have to ask for um, family leave? And I think the most constant thing is the emotional changes. If you are going through all of these changes, you're going to see yourself have a much wider range of emotions, and they're going to run often uncomfortably deep. Because you can find yourself just overwhelmed with sadness and a sense I keep losing my loved one bit by bit. I keep losing my life bit by bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be angry and then angry at yourself for being angry. You can be frustrated, impatient, even though you feel like you should have the patience of a saint. But you don't when you're caregiving. You can be tired. You know, you can be feel petty. You can feel guilty, um, alone, lonely numb. There's just a range of emotions that are much more intense than we often feel when life feels like it's kind of predictable and more balanced. Yeah. And so it sounds like the advice that you're sort of, you know, hinting at here um, to, to caregivers is um, to, to be honest with themselves, one, 
and then check in with themselves and others to even make sure that, you know, they themselves um, in someone else's eyes, right? Someone else that they may care for, a son or daughter or whomever, that they think they're coping well with it too. Because it's not just about the person they're caring for. It's this whole symbiotic relationship that, you know, right. everybody is involved in this, in this, in this, uh, uh, in this endeavor. Yeah. And it becomes really important for the, for the caregiver in this case, what I'm hearing from you is to really check in with themselves. And am I, you know, am I more irritable, for example, I think is one of the things you talked about. Am I, am I more angry at simple things that should never have made me angry before? And if that's the case, how do I deal with and cope with that better? And I think those are, sounds yeah. like very healthy questions to ask yourself. Sure, they are. And, you know, I've got a few just ideas about things that might help you cope a little yeah. better, you know. That first one is just what I started to say, set realistic expectations. You know, if you expect yourself to be um, nothing but a perfect caregiver and a perfect daughter, wife, brother, whatever, you are setting yourself up for um, failure because you don't understand this road. This is a rocky road. Often we don't come into this world without a few bumps and we don't leave this world without um, some difficulty. And we are now living in a world where people um, stay alive longer and stay alive, but sick longer. So caregivers, now we don't have people staying at home as much, but we're trying to caregive and work. So there's a lot of things that make this a really hard job and a really hard road for both the dying person and the family. So expect that this could be really hard. Expect that it's going to ask more of you than, than many parts of your life have been. You'll wonder if you're making the right decisions. You're going to wonder if you're doing enough. Just be kind to yourself and remind yourself it can feel like it's never enough. You can remind yourself that you have to be tolerant of a range of behaviors you might not normally. The other thing I hope you could do, this is a challenge for some of us, you're going to have more to do many days than you possibly have time and energy for. So you're going to have to do set your priorities, do what has to happen and let the rest go. Mm -hmm. There may be dishes and laundry and not the, not the most perfect meals, but you know, you're going to have to focus on what matters every day. And that's not easy. You're going to have to ask people for help because this is not a solo journey. You have to be ready with ideas. Yes, right. can you help put the, you know, can you help put lawn seed down? Can you help mow the lawn? Can you run and get some groceries? Can you do an errand for me? Can you sit with my loved one? But then you also, some people um, use a serenity prayer to simply say, I'm going to have to remember this is too big for me. So let me accept the things I can't change and have the courage to do the things I can. Mm -hmm. But I really must focus on um, in order to find some peace. Sometimes the third thing I hope people look at is taking care of themselves, their, their physical and emotional health. You know, you can run on empty for a week or two, but if you're caregiving for your loved one and they're slowly declining, you can't do that for the next three years, two years, five years, 10 years. You're going to have to learn to say, as you kind of said a few minutes ago, Trent, there's not just one person in this equation. There's a relationship between a caregiver and their loved one, and they're only as good as the other is. Mm -hmm. You need each other, and you're going to have to sort of say, we're going to have to 
share what we got. We're going to have to do for both of us what, you know, so that the caregiver can carry on and the loved one can be cared for as best as they can. So taking care of yourself is really not an optional decision. You're going to have to find moments and ways to get some support, to get some nourishment, to see your doctor, get your prescriptions, whatever it is. You have to keep yourself on the radar as well as your loved one. Hi, friends. It's your host, Ryan Biagini. You can be part of the exciting work that Hospice of the Piedmont is doing in the caregiving space. Your support is important to help us fulfill our mission and provide care to all in need. To partner with us through giving, visit the donate page at www.hospiceofthepiedmont.org. And now let's get back to the conversation. Symbiotic relationship that you have in a relationship, you know, particularly in a caregiving relationship, if you're caring for a spouse, um, you know, that hasn't that that has changed only in the sense that perhaps now there is a disproportionate burden on one versus the other, but you still have reliance on one another emotionally. Right. right? Yeah. 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 And uh, it's a relationship that's changing, but is still very important. Right. If you're their caregiver, then you are, that's a person you love and have history with. Right. And I think it's important that we can't probably stress enough about, you know, if you're someone like, like me, if there are listeners like me who are just, you know, intense planners, you know, and need to know the next course of events that are getting ready to happen and realizing that uncertainty is, is, is rarely a predictable, you know, aspect of life, we have to be able to respond to that, you know, lack of certainty, because we don't know the next series of things that are going to happen. We might think we know, but we don't exactly know what it's going to look like. And we certainly don't know how it's going to affect us. Right. Exactly. You know, um, I think that's important what you say, because uncertainty makes people kind of crazy and it (laughs) makes you, it does, you know, and you feel like you don't know what, you know, what base am I on? Where are we? You know, like a lot of people will say, I, you know, it seemed like I was never really sure. Are we still trying to cure? Are we trying to, you know, where are we in this? Because if I knew, if I knew that we had three more months and he was going to die, I could get oriented. I could start to say, okay, well then let's get clear. We're going to, I remember, I I think I remember somebody who um, did not want to acknowledge that her husband was dying because he didn't want to acknowledge it. And so they were tiptoeing around each other. And it was only when I suggested, I said, but if you knew he was going to die and you knew it was going to be in some certain number of months, what would you do? She immediately had a list, I'm sure. She had one thing. We are going to pack up and go back to live with all our children and grandchildren in another state because that's what matters. We're going to be surrounded by family and we're going to say goodbye to him in a way that has the most meaning, not be stuck in another state without our loved ones. So she was, but she couldn't get out of the swirl of uncertainty until she kind of did that exercise in her head. And in 24 hours, they were on their way. Right. You know, that that reminds me, I mean, in that particular story, um, the person you're talking about, she, she and her husband uh, left uh, North Carolina, you know, mm-hmm. to go to another state where all of their support system was their family support system. And one of the things that, you know, we've talked a lot about in this series, and I know that that guests have really helped me understand 
um, a tremendous amount about is really about the systems of support and the teams we build around us as caregivers. Right. Um, And, you know, as we talk about all of this and we talk about the changes that are happening with caregivers related to anticipatory grief and, and their world is changing, you know, is it, is it, is it responsible of, someone who's dealing with all of this to just ask a trusted friend or family member, you know, to say, I need you to tell me, how am I doing? You know, how do you think I'm doing? As long as they're asking somebody who has a sense of what normal looks like in, in an extended caregiving role Mm. and understands the uncertainty and understands that the emotions are going to, and behaviors are going to look a little more extreme sometimes, you know, both gratitude and love, as well as irritability and, you know, anger. So I think as long as you have someone who really can listen and as as somebody who kind of knows this road, whether it's a hospice social worker or a a neighbor who's been through it or your sister, whoever it is, somebody who can really listen and say, yeah, you know, what's important? Are you focusing on what matters? Are you taking care of yourself? That's huge to have somebody from the outside. So, yeah. And so the other thing that I think about too is, you know, we've talked in past episodes about joy and sorrow and how joy and sorrow can exist, you know, in the same plane of space. And that's something that, you know, we don't always think about. Um, and similarly, while we can acknowledge and we've talked around uh, both in this conversation and others about caregiving is how difficult it can be and how you're responding to a myriad of changes that are happening in your life. Um, you know, but but it seems that people focus either on the good or the bad, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about anticipatory grief, is it I don't think it's either. It's neither good nor bad, right? I mean, I think it probably sounds therapeutic, but I mean, talk to me about that a bit, right? Yeah, like I was I'm thinking about a woman who said to me, I feel like I've got seven emotions happening stacked on top of each other and I'm feeling them all at the same time. You know, that's intense. You know, that's a lot. She is both out of out of energy, depleted. And so grateful that she's sitting there with her loved one still. You know, she is angry at their behavior or angry at herself. There's just so much that can happen. I mean, imagine what it's like to both be saying goodbye to somebody, but they're still there. How do you how do you get comfortable with that? How do you want their suffering to end, but don't want them to go away? How do you want your crazy, overwhelmed life to end, but not by having them die. There's just a whole lot of room for guilt and complicated emotions. How do you give up hope for them to live, but still hope for something else? Hope for some good days, hope for some comfort, hope for, you know, that the kids will come by and spend meaningful time with them. It's just a very, it's a mirror. It's like a kaleidoscope. You never know what's, um, what's going to come up for you or what you're going to experience. Right. And, and so, you talked about guilt and anger and gratitude and, you know, I can't imagine that's a powerful statement that you just mentioned about having seven emotions stacked on top of each other, which really sort of tells me that this is really about a sense of overwhelm. Right. Yeah. And, and so anticipatory grief, I imagine comes with a sense of overwhelming too. Right. 
Um, and I think that would be really pretty, pretty normal. Um, you know, I'm curious about if people, if individuals don't manage their anticipatory grief or understand anticipatory grief, you know, if they haven't listened to this, which I hope they will and find it really beneficial, but if they, if they haven't sort of identified it for themselves, does that then make their traditional, you know, grief expression more complicated? And, and I realize that's a loaded question, but, you know, probably one for a whole separate discussion, but. Well, everyone's so different, but certainly I think when you say that, I think back to people who said, I never could tell them, I could never talk about their dying with them. Now I want that time back. I want to be able to say, are you okay? Are you afraid? What do you need from me? You know, I'm going to miss you. They could never acknowledge the death, so they could never really get closer with each other during that. So they feel like they wasted that time they had. Anticipatory grief time is an opportunity as well just to say things that matter, to do things that matter, to have simple moments of being with the person you love. I think the other thing, if you don't understand what a rough road this can be, you can really be upset with yourself. You know, um, all of us don't know what the last chapter of our life story is going to look like. Are we going to die in our sleep and never have a caregiver? Or are we going to have a 10-year decline, you know, with um, where somebody's going to have to do everything for us ultimately? I can mm -hmm. think of people who are caregivers for maybe a spouse. I can think of a woman in particular who had a really rough many years of caregiving for her beloved husband. But they were so compatible before he got dementia and he became so hard for her that she found herself doing things, you know, that she never thought would be possible. She would yell at him and just be so angry and think to herself, when is he going to die? And she said to me, how can my beautiful fairy tale love story have turned into this where I don't even like myself and I don't even like how I treat him sometimes. And she needed some help in just recognizing she was sticking with him. She took care of him. She watched, she walked with him all the way to the end, but she had a hard walk. And so her behaviors and emotions were going to be more extreme. If he, and she had to learn things about herself. She wished she didn't. If he had died in the sleep, she never would have known how impatient she could be, how upset she could be, you know, how um, unloving she could show the man she loved so much. So we have to, understand our feelings and look at our situation and be compassionate with ourselves. That's what coping with anticipatory grief is. Yeah. You know, we just have to be recognized. We've got a tough road. Well, and if I, if I sort of, you know, distill all the things that you've said up to this point, it's, you know, I think it's find a way to check in with yourself. That's a yeah. note I made here. Uh, you know, to, to ask yourself, why do I feel the way that I feel? Yeah. And then lastly, how is this affecting me, my relationship with others and for the person that I'm, you know, that I'm caring for? Yeah. Um, and then how is this affecting my life more broadly? I mean, those are sort of the three or four questions that I think you've really hit on that people want to, to, to you know, think about. Yes. And I think that's so true. And I think the goal is not to make it all better or have a very smooth emotional life. It's to acknowledge that, you know, this is a, a rich but difficult for many of us um, period of goodbye. 
period of saying goodbye in bits and pieces sometimes or all together. So um, it's, it's not asking those questions so you don't have any more problems. It's asking those questions so you can try to make the most of these hours and days yeah. as best as you can. And then also, you know, I think it's worth noting, you, you mentioned earlier about having conversations with people who maybe have gone through this previously. You know, I think um, that people find great affirmation, comfort, and courage um, in the shared experience they have with others, that their experience may be a benefit to people who are experiencing it today. Um, and similarly, the experience of others may be incredibly helpful to those who are dealing with it today. I mean, I think those are the things that I can sort of take away, um, uh, from all of that, that not only can you, can you receive some, affirmation and courage from another caregiver who maybe experienced the same thing, but you can also offer it to someone else. Um, and that be a really beneficial thing for you both. Right. You just have more, once you, if you can get in with a caregiver support group or just to know a couple of caregivers to talk with, you will find that you're much, your blood pressure will come down just much more accepting. Oh, they're having the same problems. That sure. is not me. Right. You know, so I think you can get a lot of comfort and give a lot of comfort if you can talk to others going through it, too. So, Marsha, we've talked about a lot of things um, during our conversation today. Um, I, this has been eye opening for me, for sure, uh, to think about anticipatory grief. I mean, you know, we, we often, as I sort of said in the beginning, we all know sort of the 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 typical, you know, grief expressions that we experience when someone passes away. But, you know, there's a grief that begins long before that. Um, And, you know, it's, it's important for people to recognize it, particularly caregivers to recognize it, to understand that it's completely normal and, you know, to sort of, you know, find really therapeutic ways for them to deal with it, whether it's with a group or, or uh, someone else who may share that same kinship that, that they've had or that they're currently going through. But what is the one thing that you would really want to share with our listeners um, today as we leave our, as we leave our time together? Well, not to repeat everything, but I think probably the most important thing would be, please be kind to yourself and your loved mm-hmm. one. Only humans show up for this, this, dance we do at end of life and um we're very flawed in it but we can still you know love ourselves and love each other and please know that um you may feel like when you look back it was never enough not enough hugs not enough kisses not enough um anything because that's what we feel um sometimes after somebody dies but i know that you will be grateful and glad if you take time regularly while your loved one is still on this earth to just be with them a little bit, reminisce, hold hands, turn on music. You both like, you know, just take some moments to put it all down. Nobody regretted not doing more laundry or um, taking the trash out, you know, but you do, you do still have the opportunity to say things and be with them and try not in the middle of all the crazy and tough decisions. Don't forget that. Marsha, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest today and for sharing your insights um, about anticipatory grief. It's been really great. I appreciate um, the thoughts that you've given me and certainly to our listeners. Thank you so much for being a part of this today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the E-Series. 
We're excited to continue this caregiving dialogue throughout the remainder of the summer as we touch on topics such as toxic positivity in caregiving and the benefits of engaging in support groups. We'll also hear another inspiring story from one of our own hospice caregivers. Be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts so that you'll receive a notification as each episode publishes. Until next time, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.